MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. Today, Trump's handpicked IRS commissioner failed to audit his taxes for years until the House Ways and Means Committee started asking questions. The January 6th committee has released transcripts of multiple witnesses. Zelensky meets with Biden at the White House. The omnibus bill will include Electoral Count Act reform. Elon Musk will step down as Twitter CEO. And an informant warned the FBI about violence on January 6th, weeks before it happened. And Judge Middlebrooks strikes again. I'm your host, Allison Gill. And guess what? I'm Dana Goldberg. Surprise! Dana's here. (laughs) Hi! So there was a scheduling. I thought there was a scheduling issue, and then that changed, and it changed again and again. So here I am, in your ears, with my favorite AG. Yay! I'm so glad you're here. It's a huge news day. I didn't want to do it without you. And we didn't even get the 1-6 report today. That's been postponed. It's been pushed back till tomorrow because of the Zelensky visit. There was a little bit of an issue with the printer, I guess. And, uh, you know... I just have office space in my head, you know, where they take the printer out to the field and beat the (laughs) shit out of it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they didn't want to, you know, once they had it printed out, they didn't want to interrupt Zelensky's joint session of Congress address, which is happening as we speak. We'll report on that tomorrow as well. But they did release a ton of transcripts moments ago, and I'll speak to that a little bit later in the show. And as I said, Zelensky met with Biden at the White House today. This is the second visit with Biden at the White House. But the first, since Russia invaded Ukraine, Biden promised Patriot Air Defense Systems, along with monetary aid laid out in the omnibus spending bill. And he didn't even ask for a favor, though. That's quite nice. Really? There was no quick pro quo. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And at one point, Zelensky presented Biden. This was so touching. He presented him with a medal that a captain, one of his captains, had earned on the front lines. Because, you know, just the day before he traveled to D.C., he was on the front lines in a very dangerous part of Ukraine awarding medals to, to, you know, some of the Ukrainian soldiers. And one of the captains wanted Zelensky to gift Biden with this medal. Wow. So he presented that medal and then Biden promised a Bo Biden challenge coin to Zelensky. It was really an emotional exchange today at the White House. And uh, Elon is stepping down as CEO. He's abiding by his poll, I guess. And he's begun looking for a new replacement. Now, keep in mind, He will still own Twitter, and I wouldn't hold your breath for some philanthropic billionaire to emerge out of nowhere and take over (laughs) the site. So, uh, and let's let's remember, he just because he's stepping down as CEO doesn't mean he's not going to tweet all the fucking time any craziness he wants to. Yeah, and he's still going to own the place. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I think it'll be a little better, but who knows? Maybe it could be worse. I I don't know who he's going to put in charge. So we'll see what happens. All right, so much news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. The 1-6 committee has postponed the release of their full January 6th report until tomorrow. But moments ago, as I said, they released multiple transcripts. The list of transcripts is very long. And here are just some of them. They include Jeffrey Clark, John Eastman, Jenna Ellis, Enrique Tario, Michael Flynn, Nick Fuentes, who dined with Ye at Mar-a-Lago with Trump. 
Bianca Gracia, she was in the parking garage that night before the attack on the Capitol with Tario and Stuart Rhodes. They also released Stuart Rhodes's transcript, along with Roger Stone, Phil Waldron, who helped write the coup plot, Kelly Ward, the Arizona GOP lady, and Garrett Ziegler. He's the guy who let people in past Secret Service for that bizarre December 18th meeting in the Oval Office. And since these have just now dropped, I recommend following Scott McFarlane and Kyle Cheney and Hugo Lowell on Twitter to see what they're coming up with. Also, Empty Wheel is putting out some very interesting tidbits as they start pouring through these transcripts. I'll be reviewing them later tonight. I'll report on them on tomorrow's beans. All right. Fantastic. And speaking of January 6th, the bipartisan bill that would change how members of Congress could object to electoral votes has been included in a sweeping spending bill lawmakers unveiled early Tuesday that must be approved in the coming days to fund all government agencies and departments. The Electoral Count Reform and Presidential Transition Improvement Act, and this is sponsored by Collins and Maine. We got Manchin on the, on board for this. What it would do is it would amend the Electoral Count Act of 1887, reaffirm that the vice president has only a ministerial role at the joint session of Congress where electoral college votes are counted. The measure would also raise the threshold necessary for members of Congress to object to a state's electors. So fucking Ted Cruz can't just stand up and be like, I object on behalf of Arizona. All right, fucker, you don't even live there. Now, though the Senate has not yet voted on this bill, AG, both the majority leader Schumer and minority leader McConnell both support the legislation. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. And even Rand Paul said back in September he supported this omnibus bill. We'll see how it goes. There's a different House version floating around that Mitch McConnell calls a non-starter. We'll see what ends up happening. I'm sure they'll end up funding the government. But I think it's really awesome and interesting that they might be able to pass a $1.7 trillion omnibus bill in, in a lame duck session. It'll be great. Indeed. Yep. And we don't yet have Trump's actual tax returns, but we did get the executive summary. And I'm proud to say Seven Springs Estates, that conservation easement, has a starring role in the front matter. This is from CNN. The Democratic-led House Ways and Means Committee said Tuesday it would release former Trump, former Trump's, the former Trump's tax returns <laughs> within days and asserted that the IRS failed to properly audit the former guy's taxes while he was in office. The committee also released a report Tuesday that detailed six years worth of the former president's tax returns, including his claims of massive annual losses that significantly reduced his tax burden. And we already knew about this through that incredible reporting from the New York Times and from Tish James's giant lawsuit. Absolutely. Chairman Richie Neal and fellow Democrats said Tuesday, the records they obtained showed that the presidential audit program failed to work as intended. The Massachusetts Democrat charged that the required audit of Trump's taxes did not occur and his returns were only subjected to the mandatory audit once in 2019 after Democrats started asking questions. The Ways and Means Committee report concluded that the IRS failed to audit Trump's taxes as required under the mandatory presidential audit program. The report found that Trump was only audited one year, between 2015 and 2020. Quote, the committee's investigation revealed only one mandatory audit was started under the prior administration and the program was otherwise dormant at best. That's what they wrote in their 25-page, uh, you know, executive summary released Tuesday after the committee's hearings. The committee found that the IRS was under-resourced to handle the presidential audit program, recommending additional staffing, including two senior IRS agents, a partnership specialist, a foreign specialist, <laughs> and a financial products specialist. 
The Joint Committee on Taxation, known as the JCT, also raised many questions about the validity of Trump's claims in his tax returns. For example, Trump included many gigantic tax deductions for charitable donations that the JCT said merited, quote, further investigation. And here's the thing I've been harping on for years. In 2015, Trump claimed $21.1 million in deductions for donating 158 acres of his 212-acre property called Seven Springs in North Castle, New York. The donation is included in the Manhattan District Attorney's criminal investigation of the Trump Organization's finances. The report noted that an IRS agent assigned to audit Trump's taxes suggested disallowing the entire $21 million deduction because Trump did not get qualified appraisal for the land. The agent alternatively suggested reducing the value of the deduction by more than half and said the appraiser may be subject to a fine for potentially misstating the value of the land. Huh. Misstating the value of a property. In 2016 and 2017, Trump claimed nearly $1.2 million and $1.9 million, respectively, in charitable contributions, the bulk of which were made in cash. Interesting. Trump has no taxable income either year but he was able to carry forward the deduction to future years, further limiting the amount of federal tax he had to pay. The JCT said the large cash contributions merit review. You think? I do. Mm -hmm. Trump had taxable income in 2018 and 2019 and reported cash donations of just over half a million for each of those years. That means he was able to claim a charitable contribution deduction those years. And the JCT suggested Trump should be asked to prove those large cash donations. Now, it's clear to me that Trump's hand-picked IRS commissioner, a guy named Charles Reddig, along with Steve Mnuchin, not only protected Trump's taxes from audits and investigation, but actually weaponized the IRS to go after people like Comey and McCabe. Now, Reddig owns several Trump properties and profits handsomely from them, hundreds of thousands a year. He didn't even trigger the mandatory presidential tax audits until the Dems won back the House and the House Ways and Means Committee began asking questions. Now, Reddick left his post last month. He's gone. I think he needs to be investigated. And Dana, I also truly believe that the IRS might now finally criminally investigate Donald for federal tax fraud now that Reddick is gone. So put some beans on it. All right. And Dana, speaking of tax fraud, y'all know I've been loving a guy named Judge Middlebrooks. He is the judge that Trump ended up getting when he filed his frivolous lawsuit against Hillary Rodham Clinton and 30 other defendants for what he called the Russia hoax. Trump filed in Florida hoping to get Judge Eileen Cannon, the Federalist Society weirdo that appointed a special master in the documents case that got thrown out by Trump appointees on the 11th Circuit. But instead of getting Cannon, he got Middlebrooks, who accused him of judge shopping and awarded sanctions in the Hillary lawsuit against Trump and his lawyer, Alina Haba. Now, the same day those sanctions came down for Middlebrooks in that case, Donald filed another idiotic lawsuit against Tish James, New York Attorney General. And I have been urging, I've been tweeting at Tish James, you should file a motion for sanctions. Because <laughs> even <laughs> though Donald tried again to get Judge Cannon in the Tish James suit, he got Middlebrooks. And we have an update today in the Tish James Middlebrooks case. Dana has the story from Adam Klasfeld at Law and Crime. I do. A federal judge in Florida refused on Wednesday to grant Donald Trump his request to intrude upon New York Attorney General Letitia James's enforcement action in connection with her fraud case. And this is a quote. 
The Trump Organization has already been found guilty by a New York jury of several counts of tax fraud, U.S. District Judge Donald Middlebrooks noted in an eight-page ruling. Went on to say, to now impede a civil enforcement action by the New York Attorney General would be unprecedented and contrary to the interests of the people of New York. Now, in November, Trump filed a lawsuit in a state court in Florida seeking to block James from, quote, requesting, demanding, uh, possessing or disclosing amendments to his trust in connection with her fraud case. His original lawsuit was later transferred to federal court. Well, shortly after the lawsuit's original filing, Manhattan Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engeron ordered a court-appointed monitor to watch over the Trump organization pending a trial slated for next year because they, they won't stop fucking around. Now, James's lawsuit against Trump, his adult children, and his businesses alleges a years-long pattern of tax fraud. She also wants to bar the former president and the family members named in her suit from ever serving as an officer or director in any New York corporation. That would be amazing. In his lawsuit, Trump claimed that James targeted him for a, quote, relentless, pernicious, clearly Trump did not write this, public and unapologetic crusade that preceded the Democratic AG's election. Now, according to James, the actual pattern is Trump shopping around in various courts in an attempt to end run other judges' rulings and her own prosecutorial discretion. And this is a quote. This action is Mr. Trump's second improper attempt to collaterally attack and end run around rulings that have been issued by the presiding judge in the New York proceedings, Judge uh, Justice Arthur Engeron. This is her assistant AG recently wrote this, okay? So this is her assistant AG. Judge Middlebrooks rejected Trump's motion for a preliminary injunction late on Wednesday, finding the former president's lawsuit would likely fail. (laughs) Again, this is a quote. Defendant raises four reasons, all of which are likely correct, why plaintiff has no substantial likelihood of success on the merits. Now that's again from Middlebrooks. Uh, and he was appointed by Bill Clinton. Went on to say, first, it's not at all clear that a federal court sitting in West Palm Beach, Florida, has personal jurisdiction over the Attorney General of New York. Second, this action is barred by New York's interstate sovereign immunity. Well, Middlebrooks also denied the request on the grounds of issue and claim preclusion meaning the matter was already decided in a binding decision of another court. So that one was already set. The attorney general also argued that Trump's bid failed under the Supreme Court's Rooker-Feldman precedent. And what that is, under that doctrine, James noted that a state court loser cannot seek to collaterally attack the court's final appealable orders. State. I love it. State court loser. I just just want to do it to jukebox here. That's a good one. That's a good one. And Middlebrooks (laughs) agreed on all of those statements, by the way. And in in November, Middlebrooks wrote a blistering ruling, blistering, sanctioning Trump's lawyers for filing that massive frivolous and shotgun lawsuit against Hillary, like you said, Hillary Clinton and dozens of other supposed political antagonists of a vast conspiracy to tar him with Russian collusion allegations. Now, the judge found it amounted to little more than a political statement masquerading as a legal action. Well, today's ruling has a really great footnote in it, A.G. Plaintiff and plaintiff's lawyers are urged to reconsider their position to Tish James's motion to dismiss. Now, this litigation has all the telltale signs of both vexatious and frivolous. So basically, it's bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, this is a great footnote. He's like, you might want to reconsider the motion to dismiss seriously because you you're going to get sanctioned sanctioned again so 
I absolutely love Judge Middlebrooks. Thank you for that. And from Ryan Riley, friend of mine over at NBC, on December 19th, 2020, the day that then-President Donald Trump sent that tweet summoning his supporters to the wild protest at the Capitol on January 6th, one of the FBI's own confidential informants warned the Bureau that the far right considered Trump's message a call to arms. That's according to an email reviewed by NBC News. That tip to the FBI from a source who is still used by the Bureau today and spoke on the condition of anonymity warned that there was a big threat of violence on January 6th. It was among hundreds of pages of reports viewed by NBC News that this source sent to the FBI in the weeks before the attack on the Capitol. Hundreds of pages of reports. The email, which has not been previously reported, warned that the Trump tweet was gaining hold on social media. Quote, Trump tweeted what people on the right are considering a call to arms in D.C. on January 6th. This is what the confidential source wrote on the afternoon of December 19th, the day of his tweet. Now, the information the source sent to the Bureau in the weeks before the attack pulled from extremist chatter on a variety of social media forums, including a discussion of civil war, talks of hanging traitors and calls for militias to take up arms. It highlighted messages like war is inevitable. Hell is going to break loose. Locked and loaded. My powder is dry. My guns are clean. I'm not afraid of death and I'll gladly take lives for the preservation of our country. Stuff like that. It included information on the boogaloo extremists who who were prepared to die in D.C. The additional information reviewed by NBC News adds to the growing pile of evidence that the FBI received intelligence that indicated January 6th was a major threat and that pro-Trump extremists wanted to kill members of Congress. It illustrates that the warnings weren't just coming from average Americans sending up information to the FBI tip line, but from at least one trusted source vetted by the Bureau. The FBI confidential human source who sent that information spoke to NBC News after the January 6th committee released its summary of the investigation, which avoided criticizing law enforcement failures in the lead up to the attack because, as NBC News first reported last month, committee leaders decided to keep the focus on Trump. Now, a confidential human source has provided information that the FBI has used in January 6th cases. NBC News was able to verify their work with the Bureau by reviewing documents and by confirming their role with another person familiar with the source's work with the FBI. The source said they were perplexed by the committee's efforts to avoid reaching what seemed to them and to many experts as an obvious conclusion. Law enforcement failed to adequately respond to the intelligence in its possession ahead of the attack on the Capitol. Quote, my first response was like, what the fuck? That's what he said (laughs) in reaction to NBC News's reporting this week on the committee's decision to avoid criticizing law enforcement in their summary. Quote, the Bureau saw this coming. Uh, The source said they were frustrated that law enforcement's failures in the lead up to January 6th, quote, would be relegated to a footnote or glossed over and that the committee had suggested there wasn't adequate time to put together an analysis. The FBI confidential source said that they had, quote, put together hundreds of pages of reports over the two weeks preceding January 6th for the Bureau leading up to the attack. Quote, this didn't go down the black hole of a web form or a tip line. This went to an agent directly, the source said, who added they were confident the information was passed on to FBI officials in D.C. Quote, to me, there's no excuse to say we didn't see this coming. So, you know, Dana, I think the Senate needs to investigate whether this got up to Chris Ray, And if not, why not? And if it did, what the fuck? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just I'm ready for Chris Ray to go. I, oh, yeah. You know, I, I feel like he was there to uh, maybe not full on protect Trump, but maybe at least just kind of let him do his thing. 
Uh, we'll see. All right, everybody, we're going to be right back with the good news. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. I'm Wajahat Ali. And my God, is 2022 starting off with a banger. And Democracy-ish is going to be here to be your official guide out of the gaslight and the crazy. We will try our best to navigate this hellscape as our freedoms and democracy under active assault. We will take you through the gauntlet with humor and hope and frustration and pain and allow you not to be gaslit. That is your new Democracy-ish. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, letters to Santa, shit kids say, shit adults say. Shit your parents say. I might have something to contribute to that pretty soon. Anything you want to send us, especially, you know, whoopee stories, uh, pets in costumes, baby photos for Dana, anything at all, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com. Just click on contact. First up from anonymous pronouns she and her. Hi, beanie babies. So I've been needing wanting to email for a while because I've finally been good for a bit. For months, I was able to pray on the altar of science and take some antibiotics for a small intestine bacteria problem and I've been dealing with for a few years. Oh my God. And I'm finally back to good enough to figure out where to go from here. However, I've been wanting to write since I felt better, but I'm me and ADHD is a bitch. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) today I heard your guest talk about the tiny brick house in Cheyenne, Wyoming that houses like a dozen shell companies, including one by Donald Trump. And I was excited because despite what you might think, you have at least one Wyoming listener and that brick house is here in the town where I reside. (laughs) So I need to go visit it and get a selfie for you here soon. I was excited to hear I could show off our shittiness firsthand. (laughs) But in the meantime, first, here's my little lady for pet tax, Lady Di, Lady Diana or Princess Diana or any of the titles she was afforded, is my little anxious ball of soft fluff. She's gotten me through long bouts of depression, even when I didn't think I was good enough to take care of her. And we both have gotten more chill through it together. I believe she's a British long hair, but she's adopted. So let me know what you think. Also, also, here is what I think is one of the best Halloween costumes of all time. My ex a few years back wanted something funny for Halloween, and AG, you'll especially get a kick out of this one. It was hard to move around in, but the pick was worth it. Merry Christmas and happy Halloween. This Halloween costume is hysterical. That's a beautiful kitty. Oh, (laughs) okay. Let me see if I can explain this to you. It's a cassette tape with a pencil eraser stuck in one of the holes so that you can fix it. (laughs) And it's very dirty when the costume is on a human being and it says, wind me up. (laughs) Yeah, because the pencil is in a, it's in a a place. Let's just say it's in a place. (laughs) Thank you for that. That's beautiful and amazing. I love it. All right. Uh, This one's from Gudrun, uh, pronouncing they. Hello, Legume Crew. I'm a young listener in my first year of high school. My mom introduced me to your podcast when driving me to school. Hi, Mom. I know you're listening. I've been listening to it on my own for a while now, and it's helped me greatly to impress my civics teacher. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Here are pictures of my cats for the pet tax. The fluffy tux is Brendan, and the big honky tabby is Sagittarius. Okay. First of all, I love tuxies. And Gudrun, this is so amazing. Welcome. I know, seriously. And hi, Gudrun's mom. Hello. Look at this tuxie. Oh, that's so cute. Uh, Oh, and there's another chonker. 
a little tabby. Love Thank it. you so much. What a great submission. I'm, I'm excited now. We're helping civics teachers around the country. <laughs> Next up from, Su- yeah, with all of our swear words. <laughs> Next up from Susan, she and her. Thank you for this podcast and for the Jack podcast. I canceled cable when CNN went over the dark side and you've become an important element in my news and new information diet. Pet Dax, meet Maccabee, who was rescued three years ago from the streets of Oakland on the first night of Hanukkah, hence his name. Nice. He was in fragile condition, but he made it. And after a few months of fostering with me, he went off to lead a fabulous life as a house cat. Especially at first, when he was still weak, he just wanted to be held. He had that irresistible uh, mammalian trait of gazing at his mama or me, his human substitute, as if I were a goddess herself. He had me in his thrall from the first. Here he is on the first night after rescue being comforted by the stuffy mama cat with a mechanical heartbeat. As he recovered and grew stronger and wigglier, we had to improvise to get his weight. He became quite a self-confident little scamp. I have an action video of him conquering the litter robot (laughs) and riding it like a cowboy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, It was wrenching to give him up, but fostering Maccabee was one of the most satisfying things I did during the pandemic. Shout out to Island Cat Resources and Adoption in Alameda, California. Again, that's Island Cat Resources and Adoption in Alameda. They do a great job rescuing, spay, neutering, and finding just the right homes for kitties in need. Oh my God, so sweet. Oh, what a beautiful cat, too. Yes. Oh, the upside down oh, head out. Of the I book. love it. So cute. So cute. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. This is from KC, pronouns she and her. Hi, I love to start my day by listening to your show. It's become a part of my regular routine, and I'm so glad a friend, Jan, recommended it. I retired. Hi, Jan. Hi, Jan. I retired with 30 years of law enforcement in North Carolina. My last years were the highway patrol. I had many encounters and experiences during this career and have many stories to tell. One of my favorites happened on Christmas Eve, just as it was getting dark. I received a call from the communications center in reference to a wreck involving a vehicle and a deer. The caller indicated it was property damage only and no injuries, which is always a plus. I arrived and parked behind the van on the side of the roadway. As I exited my patrol car, I heard screaming and crying coming from the van. So I hurried to make contact. I'm thinking it wasn't property damage only, but someone was hurt. I saw two small boys crying inside the van with their mother. I asked her if she needed an ambulance for the four and six-year-olds as they continued to cry uncontrollably. She replied no. Stunned at her answer, I looked at her and the kids, and then she added, they think it's Rudolph. Oh my God. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and now Santa won't be coming tonight and Christmas wasn't going to happen. I was caught by surprise for a second. But I had to do something, so I told the children to calm down and let me check the deer to see if it was Rudolph. I walked over to the deceased deer and shined my flashlight all over and even knelt down. I glanced over my shoulder and saw the small faces in the van watching my every move. I returned to the van with the news. It was not Rudolph at all. One of the children asked if I was sure, and I answered, I was positive it was not Rudolph, and deer didn't even have a red nose. It was Randall, Rudolph's second cousin. On his mother's side, Randall was always running out into the roadway and not looking both ways when he tried to cross the street. It was bound to happen sooner or later. The crying stopped and cheering started. Rudolph, Santa, and Christmas (laughs) were coming after all. What an adorable story. Uh, I mean, talk about making the best of a a horrible situation. Yes. I'm so glad nobody was hurt. And, and and that's so creative. Nope. Second cousin on the mother's side. He's always running out into traffic <laughs> without looking both ways. It's a nice little lesson you stuck in there for yep, the kids. Well done. 
Oh, that, you know, and I mean, I mean it's very sad that the deer, you know, didn't make it. But I mean, again, making the best of, of, a, of a bad situation. Thank you so much, as all of our listeners do, right? I mean, this yep. is such, such a cool community. I love the good news part. I do. I just like learning about you all. Yeah, that's so great. And please continue to send in your good news stories. Uh, we'll be here one last day tomorrow, and then we're going to be off for a week. We're not coming back until Monday, January 2nd. So, um, I, you know, I'll probably be giving little updates on Patreon if you're a patron, making little audio clips and 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 posting them there if you're a patron. If you're not a patron and you want to be one, uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash MillerSheWrote. If you sign up for the $5 level or higher, you get the Beans and the Jack podcast, two top 10 news podcasts. Woo-hoo. Amazing. All right. That's it. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here on this Thursday night? No, nope, I'll have some for tomorrow, though. I assure you. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely will have some for tomorrow. Everybody, until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. Take people with you. All of the people. Take them all with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>